Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to say thank you to our platinum sponsors, including Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. And Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is an old friend, Anthony Fisher. Anthony is a certified master athletic administrator. Uh, he spent some time in Florida where we got to know him very well, but now he is the district director of athletics for the Minneapolis public school system in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Tony, how's it going? It's going great, Jake. I, I can't complain outside of the uh, seven inches that we received as far as snow is concerned this morning. But uh, other than that, I'm doing great. And the reason I'm doing great is because I have an opportunity to uh, impact 37,000 students. Now, obviously, all 37,000 don't participate in athletics, but those that, that would like to participate, we have a voice in, in making sure that they uh, have a great athletic experience. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, that is literally our number one goal at my school, provide every student with a great athletic experience. Doesn't say mm -hmm. anything about wins and losses or scholarship. You know, we're just going to use athletics to try to have a positive impact. Uh, absolutely. Glad to see what you're doing. Yes. Well, let's jump right into it. Uh, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So share a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to college and maybe how your love of sports uh, led to a career in athletic administration. Perfect. So I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, was an avid sports fan. I mean, my, my dad purchased Milwaukee Bucks tickets as far back as I can remember. I want to say maybe I was fourth grade, fifth grade. So there were four seats and I got a chance to invite uh, either a friend or three other friends to go to the games. And at that time, the Mecca had a, a situation where you could go downstairs and line up outside of the locker room to get uh, signatures, autographs, shoes, towels, whatever the players are willing to give you as they came out. And so my love for sports grew in, in that particular moment because I, I never wanted to miss a game. Then you add on, uh, I started Little League Baseball at nine years old. And a part of how I got introduced to Little League Baseball um, there was a baseball coach down the street by the name of Billy Graham, who was friends with my grandmother. I used to go to my grandmother's house every single, every single day in the summer. And he saw us in the alley playing stickball. You know, we'd have a rock, we'd have a broomstick and we were playing full, full out baseball from, from our perspective. And he saw, you know, the, the, the hand-eye coordination at seven years old and said, Hey, 
don't come to the to the draft, but in two years when you turn nine, I'm going to put you on my team and you're going to play Little League Baseball for me. So I said, okay, great. And uh, that's where the imagination grew beyond my wildest dreams in a sense that I started playing full games of baseball and basketball in my mind by myself. You know, I would take stats, you know, write them down as I made a shot or you know, I might play a video game and, you know, put my friends as this guy and put myself as this guy. And so it just, the imagination grew to the point of, you know, I saw myself as, as at some point in time, being an integral part, sports being an integral part of my life. And uh, I ended up after high school, uh, being blessed to, to play college basketball at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. There I played for four years, I graduated in four years and immediately out of college, I uh, went back to my alma mater, Milwaukee Lutheran High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I uh, I coached on the the, the varsity team. And a, and a part of why I wanted to coach was because I have two younger brothers, one who is 10 years younger than me and the other who is 13 years younger than me. Oh, wow. And I wanted to be a part of their maturation process. So a, a part of being around them every single day meant that, you know, I, I had to become a basketball coach. Little did I know I was going to end up with thousands of little brothers. Uh, my first job was with this uh, marketing research company called Hamacher Resource Group. And they gave me the flexibility to be able to attend games and to be able to take off work and coach and so forth. They also uh, donated to different um, sponsorship efforts that we had at Milwaukee Lutheran High School. And ultimately I had to, you know, after seven years, so I, I I progressed from being a production artist to an art director. So I have a graphic design background as well. And uh, over the course of eight years, I had to break the sad news to them that I was looking to uh, make a career change. And that was because I was offered uh, to be a head coach at a small urban Christian school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'll just be very brief, but the conversation went as such with the superintendent. He goes, now that I have you as my head basketball coach, I need to figure out how to get you in the building. And I said, okay. He said, art director, athletic director, both start with an A, both are directing something. Would you like to be my athletic director? And I wanted to be a head coach. So I said, sure. And that's essentially how I got into the profession of being an athletic director 13 years ago. I love those uh, old school stories, uh, whether it's public or private, where the superintendent or the head of school, you know, says, hey, I want you as a coach in the building. Let's create a position around that. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I, I just love to hear that. Got to go back to those uh, boyhood days in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm a few years older than you are. Uh, who were some of those players on the Bucks back then? Oh, boy, I could. Terry Cummings, Paul Pressey, Sidney Moncrief. Uh, you had... Um... Uh, Paul Mokeski. Uh, Those are some Ricky, good teams. Yeah. Ricky Pierce. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I was I was at every game, and I tried. I, I actually had pennants, and I had the visiting. I had all the bucks on my pennant, and I hung them up in my room. So I would buy all the pennants for every team, and whenever the visiting team came into town, I would get them to sign it. So I had Larry Bird's signature, Patrick Ewing, Michael oh, Jordan, wow. uh, Charles Barkley, Elijah Wan. I mean, you name it. I was that kid on a school night standing there until 11 o'clock until the last guy came out to get every single autograph on that pen. 
Oh, wow. What a, what a great collection of memories. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, take us through um, the, what brought you down to Florida. You know, we, we only got you for a few years. So they were great years. But, uh, you know, how did that happen? So after my time as an athletic director in Wisconsin, I got a call from, uh, and it, it's a very interesting story. So I went to Bethlehem Lutheran, which was uh, my, my K-8, K- K- kindergarten through eighth grade middle school or, or elementary school. And uh, our rival was St. Peter Emmanuel. Their coach became the principal at St. John Lutheran in Ocala, Florida, and he needed a unique skill set. So I had been an athletic director for three years at this point, and I had been uh, a coach, assistant coach for eight years, head coach for three years. And I had been an athlete, and like I said, an athletic director for three years, never taught. So he needed a unique skill set in the sense that he needed someone to be able to teach, to coach, and to be the athletic director. So he reached out through a mutual friend, the mutual friend, you know, presented the opportunity. Again, this is my rival elementary middle school head coach. This is, this is that guy offered me the job. And I said, you know what, a chance to move to Florida and, and, and do what I love to do with someone who knows me and, and has watched me grow up and, you know, been a part of my maturation process, you know, I'll, I'll take the risk by all means. And so I, I did it. And, you know, it was one of the best decisions that I, I could have made. Uh, well, again, we'll get into, you know, how you helped FIAAA uh, later on. But uh, I always like to ask our athletic directors um, about their mentors. In, in our business, we always talk about the importance of leadership and mentoring that next generation. Uh, I think you've probably sort of hinted at a couple, but who are some of your mentors, uh, either you know, coaches growing up or pe- people that you worked with or worked for? Uh, the expression I like to use is, I still hear those voices in my head when I'm oh, yeah. talking to a, a kid or a coach or someone. So whose voice do you still hear? Well, I, I've, got, I've got quite a few, but I'm, I'm gonna start with the athletic director piece and then I'll start with just life in general, because there's one in particular just with life in general. But uh, I go back to my first AD job. Paul Dean Knippel was the uh, athletic director at Wisconsin Lutheran College, and his son was the superintendent that I spoke about earlier in giving my first AD job. And uh, he was, I had to meet with him every single day. And then as he started to see that I, I understood the job a little bit, then it was weekly. Then it was monthly. And next thing you know, he fizzled out. And by year two or three, I was kind of on my own, but I could still pick up the phone and call him. So he was very instrumental in the early part of my career. Um, I mentioned Jeff Knutson, the former St. John Lutheran uh, principal who gave me my start in Florida there. Uh, Trish Hyland, retired Orange County and Lake County athletic director. Uh, Trish actually called me as soon as I got the job at St. John and said, hey, I'm your mentor. I'm going to be there in about a week, pick a day, pick a time, and then we're just going to talk. And at that point, she told me what to do. She followed through, and she had been a resource ever since in terms of me being able to reach out and ask any questions or whatever. I go back to Ed McPatton, retired Marion County Athletic Director. Again, being in a small private school and being able to reach out to the public school county athletic director was huge, and and, and Ed was always available and always willing to answer whatever questions I had. I'd be remiss without mentioning Denarvis Thornton. I, between him and Natalie Strappy, I was scared to death of those two. But uh, they certainly were very influential in a sense that have your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And I took that to heart. 
uh, Lannis Robinson, uh, you know, Lannis is to me, you know, when you say Prince and then all of a sudden Prince went to the symbol, right? That that's Lannis to me. You just say Lannis and that that speaks volumes and a lot of people understand that and they know that. Uh, Dr. Leanne Bradshaw, who gave me my, my first Orange County job at Oak Ridge High School. She's uh, currently the Orange County Area Superintendent for the East Learning Community. And, and I still reach out to her to this day. We have conversations about how I can be better as an athletic administrator. Uh, Doug Patterson, County AD in, in Orange County. Again, just watching him gave me the confidence that an athletic director, you can go from a building athletic director to a county athletic director and I watched him do it. I watched his every move and I'm implementing some of the things that he first implemented when he took over in Orange County. And then I, I'd like to speak about just real briefly, the Orange County room, Russell Wombles, Jimbo Priest, Bobby Biaggi, Mike Brown, Kevin Deemer, Valerie Mayerez, Andy Childs, huge influence. And the reason they were influences was because uh, we had a healthy competition. We wanted to be better than everyone in the room, but we certainly, uh, we were willing to help one another as well. And uh, th that was huge for me just being in that room because those, all of those guys were, were willing to help me along the process and didn't kind of push me off to the side and say, figure it out. You know, they were very instrumental in saying, hey, we get, we get an extra uh, supplement if you get your CAA. I had no idea about the, the, the national organization or anything. So that group helped form that. And uh, there's two, two people that I want to also mention and that this is it, I promise. Uh, my middle school coach, James Sinclair, uh, he had this whistle, Jim could be packed. And you literally, if I heard the whistle, my head would turn and he would mouth something and I knew exactly what he was saying. So to this day, I still talk to him and he still provides me with just you know, life, life advice. And, and the last person is my wife. My wife has been very uh, supportive in this career. As you can tell, we first started dating when I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's also from Milwaukee and I left and I was in Ocala for four years and we still dated. Then we finally got married and she moved to Ocala. Then she uprooted and moved to Orlando with me because I took the job in Orlando. And then she uprooted and moved here to Minneapolis. So she's been a trooper along the way and in, in, within those stops, she also served as my assistant athletic director at Edgewater High School. So that was probably one of the best athletic director jobs I had simply because I had my wife as my, my right-hand man. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely have to give a shout out to uh, the wives. And uh, <laughs> you, uh, you made, made an easy transition. You mentioned that group of ADs from Orange County, uh, pretty much a current roster of our FIAAA board of directors. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit with our listeners. We have a lot of young ADs and I don't think they always understand the process of getting involved at the state level, um, taking those first LTI courses, and then hopefully getting on that track to like you, you know, getting your CMAA. Um, and then also, you know, with FIAAA, you really took our corporate sponsorship program to a new level uh, that, you know, now Russ Wombles and Doug Patterson are, are leading. So I know that's a mouthful, but, you know, take us a little bit on that journey of how you gotten started with um, uh, the LTI courses, your CMAA, and then maybe a little bit on the corporate sponsorship program. Well, you know, as I alluded to earlier, I wanted to be the first and I wanted to be the best. So a part of uh, 
my mindset as far as an athletic director was to keep everything tight to the breast. And, and I didn't want to share with anyone because I felt like I needed to be better than you. I mean, that was, that was the competitor in me, right? I was a good athletic director at that time. I think the transition in my mind, and some could argue this, but I think the transition of good to great was when I was willing to share resources. And a part of being in that room, sharing resources, sharing information, that, that was a huge, uh, that was a huge component of Orange County. Uh, and, and I give a lot of credit to Russell Wombles for, uh, you know, explaining to me, hey, there's, there's 1700 bucks that's sitting out there. Go get your CAA, man, because I saw all these different credentials behind all these guys' names and, and you know, the ADs in Orange County. And I'm saying to myself, what, what is that, you know? And again, the competitive nature in me wanted to get to the level and then potentially attempt to try to, you know, exceed the level, so to speak. And uh, got my CAA and I said, why stop there? Even though Orange County didn't provide any additional supplements for the CMAA, I said, I'm already on track. You know, I might as well just keep going. I kept going and got the CMAA. Um, but as far as my time with the FIAAA and serving on that board, as I mentioned earlier, I was an art director at one point in time. So the graphic piece came real easy to me. And it was one of those situations where that was kind of my secondary passion. I, I fell out of love with it, so to speak, when I transitioned to become an athletic director, simply because you have to keep up with all the software and understand all the new technology. And I, you know, my love for coaching superseded me wanting to continue to stay up with the software, but I still dabbled in it every now and then. And so I was able to kind of mix the two, you know, the art directing piece with the athletic directing piece. And so once our Orange County folks saw that, the, the, the Russell Wombles of the world, the Andy Childs, you know, uh, Valerie, you know, once they saw that, they put me in that position to essentially say, hey, you would be a great asset to the FIAAA board. Why don't we put you in our marketing, on our marketing committee and let's, let's see how that works. And, uh, you know, again, it, it was a very, I mean, they, they, they really, when I say they, meaning everyone in Florida essentially put me in a position to be successful. And so that's why I said that was one of the best, best moves I could have ever made in terms of moving to Florida, because every turn there was, a, uh, you know, someone looking to put me in a position uh, to be successful. Yeah, I, I love your analogy. I'm a huge Jim Collins, good to great uh, fan. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, tell my FIAAA story the same way. I was an athletic director and a head football coach, but maybe not in that order uh, until <laughs> I went to my first FIAAA event and just completely opened my eyes and, and very much like you, you know, I got sucked in, you know, mm -hmm. wanted to get to those next levels. So appreciate you sharing that story. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we like to do with the podcast is this idea of sharing best practices. And, you know, you certainly, you know, had your share of successes in Florida and now in um, Minneapolis. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit. Um, what's one or maybe two things uh, either that you helped uh, supervise, initiate in Florida or in uh, Minnesota um, that you are particularly proud of that, you know, you look at your coaches or you look at that program and you say with equal parts, pride and humility, uh, boy, we do this better than anybody else. Uh, can you share a couple of best practices? Yes. So um, I'll start with what's happening here in Minneapolis. I was able to develop an equity funding model 
And essentially I have 10 high schools and the, the socioeconomic status of those schools have a pretty wide range, right? And so when I originally got here, uh, it, was, it was explained to me that there's $60,000 of which those 60, of those $60,000, 20,000 goes to the three schools that needed the most. And that was essentially addressing equity, right? And I thought about that and I said to myself, ah, that, that doesn't sit well with me, you know? And so in looking at this equity model, we put together a criteria that our coaches can use this money for, excuse me, our athletic directors can use this money for. And essentially it boils down to transportation, additional coaches, equipment, and it's a finite amount of, 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 of items or, or you know, a, a criteria that they can spend this money on. But then I was able to get our board to secure $100,000 of which we broke the $100,000 up based off of the number of students receiving educational benefits. And so in saying that 60% of the funding was broken up to basically split amongst all seven of schools with athletic programs equally, right? So that broke out to, I believe, 8.57% of $100,000 or $8,570. And then what we did is we took the other 40% and we said, okay, the school with the least amount of educate students receiving educational benefits, you're gonna receive zero of that 40%. So your total is $8,570. But as we go, up the list or down the list in terms of the number increasing as far as educational benefits received by, by students at that particular school, we then increase that percentage. So essentially you have the haves who are getting 8.57% of that $100,000 and you have the have not, so to speak, getting 18.57% of that $100,000. And so that helped to close the gap and, and, and it was explained to our board hey, we're not gonna close the gap on every single issue, but what we can do is address some issues like the haves, so to speak, having 15 coaches, 10 above the, the threshold that the district is willing to, to or, or able to, to provide, right? Whereas that school that does not have can only afford those five coaches and no coaches above and beyond. So it's really the athletic director deciding where they wanna spend those resources and now they can have 15 coaches on the sideline as well. So the equity funding model here in Minneapolis was one thing that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And then I believe um, the second thing that I would, would add maybe would be the, the rebranding of the FIAAA. Uh, for me, you know, given the opportunity to, you know, kind of mold the clay, so to speak, of an organization that had been, you know, in existence for as long as it has and has been as, as successful as it has been uh, for as long as it has been. Uh, it's just one of those situations where I was able to take my God-given talent and, uh, as I mentioned, being an art director, just being able to play. And it, with it being my second passion, it wasn't work at all. And as you know, Jake, I served as the uh, marketing consultant or the, the sponsorship consultant for the FIAAA, two years removed from Florida and being here in, in Minneapolis. And so I just love the work. I love the people. And um, the, the, the best compliment that I could give that organization is that it, it never appeared to be work at all. 
on your equity program, what a great idea. I mean, not just utilizing existing resources, but creating additional resources. And then, uh, you know, kind of, I think, maybe not so subtly challenging the schools and the ADs to, you know, get more kids involved. And uh, for our listeners, uh, you know, Tony, just as he explained, he completely uh, revitalized and energized our FIAAA logo, which if you go to our website, or if you've gone to our YouTube channel and watched the video uh, version of these interviews, you can see that FIAAA logo on my uh, background there. And uh, it got universal acclaim. Everybody you know, thought it was just fantastic. And we kept Tony on the payroll for a couple more years, uh, helping out with corporate. That's how good of a job he did. And Jake, I'd, I'd like to add as well, and, and I'd be remiss if I did not mention this, uh, the Nomad Organization. Uh, you can see some of the branding here, but I, I serve as the marketing committee chair for that organization, but also a co-founder for NOMAD. And, and for those that don't know, NOMAD stands for the National Organization of Minority Athletic Directors. And, and this really started, this organization came together uh, essentially uh, during the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. And so uh, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that if I'm able to, Jake. Oh, I was going to save that. Um, I was going to save that for our uh, closer. Oh, okay. but no, let's do it right now. Uh, Perfect. Uh, again, you know, this was a, a initiative that Tony uh, created, and I think maybe kind of rolled out right around uh, this year's national conference. So please tell the tell the story behind it, uh, what's involved with it, and how people can get involved themselves if they want to. Absolutely, thank you, Jake. Uh, so, Nomad started with. Myself, uh, Anthony Thomas, who's an athletic director out of San Diego, the Parker School, I believe. Uh, Kevin G. Adams, who's an athletic director out of Virginia. Uh, and Carlos Reed, who is an athletic director out of, uh, I believe it's Oakland, California. I'm not sure. I, I think it's Bishop Dow is the school. And uh, we got together and we just said to ourselves, you know, and, and I'm going to be very transparent. You know, I've always been very honest, Jake. Uh, but essentially, we would go to the NIAAA conference and by all means, investing three or $4,000, I felt that it was worth it because I would have two or three takeaways that I could bring back to my school community and life was great, right? But what I started to witness was, how can I get to that level of having 10 takeaways or 15 takeaways or 20 takeaways that I know for a fact I can come back to my school community and apply. And in a lot of instances, you know, I'm just being very honest, it wasn't there. And I'll give you an example. So when we talk about fundraising, you may have a suburban athletic director that speaks to, hey, you can go right down the street and speak to your local McDonald's and tell them you'll put up a couple of banners and, and they'll stroke you a check for 10 grand and life is great. But when, when, when you're a, a, an urban athletic director, uh, that's not necessarily how it works. And then, you know, there's so many other moving parts and there's other players in the mix that it makes it very difficult to just walk into that McDonald's and, and have that same conversation. And so in that regard, that wasn't a takeaway for me. And so Nomad came about where we could now share information, have conversations, uh, share resources, whatever the case may be with, with athletic administrators who are for lack of a better term, in the minority or underrepresented. And so uh, 
we have webinars on on a monthly basis and, and really it's it's to have those tough conversations i mean a lot of times you know we, we we talk about how we want to combat racism and we want to you know uh be better as a society and a part of that is number one educating ourselves which nomad is attempting to do but also number two be willing to have those tough conversations and i think nomad gives us the platform to express ourselves and have that conversation. When I say us, I mean anyone who's a part of the membership. And so to become a member of Nomad, it's a free membership. You literally go to our website, which is the Nomad organization, excuse me, the Nomad association.org. And at that point, just surf our, our, our website, which I was able to put through or uh, put together. Uh, that website was gifted to us from VNN. So we, we certainly, I certainly wanted to mention VNN here, but uh, just a tremendous opportunity to, like I said, network, share opportunity or share, share resources and uh, create pathway opportunities. A, a part of one of our pillars also is to, you know, uh, intentionally reach out to students, whether they're high school students or, or college students that may have an interest in becoming an athletic director and then mentoring them from the very beginning all the way through and helping them, uh, you know, potentially find jobs. I, I know that, you know, some school districts say, well, hey, there isn't that large of a minority pool out there for me to, uh, to interview. And so we want to be that organization that can say, hey, we've got five or six people here that we think are pretty qualified for that job if you're interested in having, you know, some diversity as far as uh, your, your talent pool is concerned. And so that's Nomad in a nutshell. I literally just got off a meeting with, with that, that organization and we're to the point now where um, we've just nominated some region captains. So we have 15 board members, very diverse board, along with seven region captains and we're looking for an eighth region captain which would be out of region seven i believe so uh just excited about how the organization is moving along and uh you know it's our hope that we are are making a difference amongst those underrepresented athletic directors in the country oh absolutely and again uh, for our listeners since you can't see this uh, the website is the nomad association.org and Tony, we'll do this at the end, but uh, what's your email? What's the best way for somebody to reach out and get in touch with you? The best way would be my email address and it's it's Anthony, A-N-T-O-N-Y dot Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R at M-P-L-S dot K-12 dot M-N dot U-S. So I'll repeat it, Anthony, A-N-T-O-N-Y dot Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, at M-P-L-S dot K-12 dot M-N dot U-S. All right. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Again, we'll do that at the end of the podcast as well. Okay. Um, one Another uh, area we've been talking with the ADs, of course, uh, and again, to our listeners, we're recording this on February 4th. Uh, it's going to be airing uh, uh, the middle of March. So hopefully, you know, uh, things will have improved a little bit, but we've been talking about COVID, of course, and we've seen a variety of responses uh, from around the country. Uh, and so for our listeners, uh, give us a little bit of an update, you know, what's going on in Minnesota, what's happening in Minneapolis, uh, not just with uh, return to play, but also with return to school, you know, tell us what's going on. Sure thing. 
Uh, from an academic standpoint, Minneapolis Public Schools is currently allowing in-person learning at school for pre-K and kindergarten. The plan is to have pre-K through fifth grade in-person learning by February 22nd. Uh, and then I anticipate middle school, sixth through eighth would be the next phase of which that would look like um, late February, early March, which would then put our high school students back to in-person learning mid-March to, to late mid-March. Uh, from, from an athletic standpoint, Minneapolis Public Schools and the Minnesota State High School League, which is our state governing body, so you may hear me refer to them as the MSHSL, um, we've been conducting in-person coaching dating back to June 22nd. That was our summer period. And then August 17th was our fall period. And now January 11th was the start of our winter season. So, uh, you know, we've been out front for quite some time now. And so we've, we've had our, 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 our trial and our errors and so forth. And we've learned from some things that we've done. And, you know, again, you can only get better, right? And that's essentially uh, our thought process with this. And so one of the major points of emphasis that our school district has, we didn't allow spectators to home athletic events. And essentially as a result, uh, we did inst install free live streaming for all of our athletic stakeholders to continue to support our student athletes, you know, for our indoor athletic events. And we're looking to install those uh, live streaming capabilities as well at our outdoor facilities, you know, obviously weather permitting. But when I spoke to getting better, I don't know that we would have went down the road of providing live streaming, considering how large our school district is and, and the cost associated with that. We would have just continued to operate as we have operated in person, watching athletic contests, that's it. But now coming out of this, this COVID situation, if, if you, know, you wanna take a, a negative and, and spin it in a positive way, uh, coming out of this, we'll not only be able to watch our student athletes or support our student athletes in person, but we'll also be able to watch live streaming of our athletic contests district-wide. And uh, I'm just pretty excited about that because our district had been talking about that for quite some time. And then to be able to not only come in and do it, but also be forced to do it under a certain time constraint and make it happen, uh, that's a pretty big deal for Minneapolis Public Schools. I'm curious, what uh, what platform have you been using for the live stream? Uh, we, again, my school, we're just one private school, but we have a lot of teams. We use the uh, NFHS uh, system outdoors, and we had the uh, another product uh, for our gymnasium, but uh, what have you all been using? So similar to you, we, we're using the NFHS live streaming product outdoor and then in our gymnasiums. Uh, anything that's a, a facility outside of Minneapolis Public Schools. So for instance, our hockey events, those are live streamed through a company called Northern Lights Video. Uh, and they do a fantastic job. Uh, they also live stream all of our gymnastic events as well. And in the fall, while we were putting this plan together, they did all of our home football games across the district. So it, it's, it's a, a, a husband and wife duo with their, their uh, homeschool child so the three of them essentially made all of this happen. And, and they're, I mean, they're, they're local and they, they did a great job for us and they continue to do a great job. And so a part of 
you know, that mutually beneficial relationship uh, mentality. I told them, hey, we may not be able to have you for our football games and our basketball games, but I see cross country in your future. I see swimming in your future. I see tennis in your future. I see badminton in your future. So, you know, uh, we're going to make it work because they, they, they helped us out in a, in a very tight spot. Sounds like one of those uh, unexpected or unintended consequences that, you know, worked out in a positive way. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. What a, that's a great story. Yes. Um, Tony, we started doing these uh, podcasts back in, uh, you know, late June, early July. And uh, as I was putting together the questions that I want to discuss, obviously, you know, the events that took place in Minneapolis and then Atlanta, uh, we're still very fresh in the in our minds. And so one of the questions I've been asking the athletic directors has been this, you know, how can we as athletic administrators, um, how can we do better in this um, area of social awareness or, or social justice? You know, how can we do a better job? So that, that's, that's kind of a loaded question, but I would, I probably would start with the continued education piece on, on, social issues, you know, really understanding, you know, the, the demographic across the board. Uh, and, and again, I'd be remiss to, to, to not mention uh, some of the things that we're doing with Nomad. And so we have book studies, which we allow athletic directors to sign up, our members actually to sign up and be a part of these book studies. And we have those, those tough conversations. And, and, and a part of those tough conversations, I actually have the books right here. Uh, so our first book study was uh, written by Daryl Wing Su. It's called Race Talk and the Conspiracy of Silence. And it essentially is helping us to understand and facilitate difficult dialogues on race. Um, and, and our current book that we're, we're engaged in right now is called Urban Trauma. And, you know, again, I don't know all the ins and outs because we're literally on the, the third chapter, I believe it is, but it talks about the legacy of racism and really understanding, you know, uh, past precedent, so to speak, and then being able to uh, create solutions to, to, to negate what had, what had taken place in the past and what could still be taking place right now. So, so when you ask the, the question, what, what can we do or what can we do better? I think we can continue to educate ourselves. And I think that we can be open to having those tough conversations. I mean, again, you know, it, I translate it to uh, when you have to have a conversation with a coach, right? About uh, maybe there's too many athletes or too many people on the sideline at a football game. You have to pull your coach to the side and your coach is this legendary coach that has been, you know, winning state championship after state championship, and you're the new AD, right? And you have to walk in and have that conversation. Hey, coach, there's too many people on the sideline. We need to do something different. That's a tough conversation, but that's a conversation that an athletic director is willing to have, especially if a principal comes to that athletic director and says, we got to clean up our sideline, right? So now let's let's take it back to, you know, these, these social issues. We as the adults, we are the chosen leaders. We, we, didn't, we didn't choose what happened, it chose us. And so now that we're here, I feel like if we're open to having these conversations, we can really start to understand the person across the screen from us or the person standing directly across from us. And, and I think that's, 
that's the bigger piece is the education piece and uh, and and having those those tough conversations, willing be, being willing to have those tough conversations. Um, absolutely, I appreciate you sharing that. So, uh, someone that was listening, you know, like me, uh, we could go to uh, the Nomad website and sign up to participate in one of these future book studies. Yes, and, and like I said, you would you would need to become a member of Nomad, and once you became a member of Nomad, then you would be able you'd have access to uh, book study information, and, and we're going to continue to do them because they're starting to, they're, they're they're getting really popular. I want to say that the first book study that we had on uh, race talk, we probably had thirteen athletic administrators from across the country, including uh, a gentleman from Hawaii, um, and now. I want to say that number has doubled with urban trauma. And so, you know, Dan Talbot, who's down there in Florida at Polk County, he's been a part of Race Talk, the, the first book study and urban trauma, the second book study. So uh, it's just a, a valuable resource. And like I said, it, it gives you that platform to hear uh, someone else's perspective that may not look like you, talk like you, or come from the same background as you. Well, uh, I don't know about the rest of our listeners. When we're done with this uh, recording, uh, I'm going to go sign up. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Let's go ahead and uh, uh, move on here. Um, another question I ask uh, our, all of our guests is, what's your favorite part of the job? And after about 60 different interviews, uh, the answer was pretty much the same. Oh, it's the yeah. kids. Yeah. And of course, it's the kids. Why else would you uh, become an AD and coach if you didn't care about working with young people? But acknowledging that you love your kids, what are some other things that get you excited about coming to work each day? Um, like, like I mentioned, you know, for me, being an athletic director, it's, it's not a job. Like, I, I don't know how I can explain that. I mean, I have so much passion for this, this profession that it's not even funny. Uh, and just to you know, speak to my my track record. Uh, started at a at a small Christian urban school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, of 300 kids. Moved on to a rural small private school in Ocala, Florida, of about 330 kids. Moved on to Oak Ridge High School in Orlando, with about 3,000 kids. Moved on to Edgewater High School, which had about 2,100 kids. And now here in Minneapolis, which has 37,000 kids. And so, you know, the, the best part of the job when you talk about kids, yes, it's kids, but it's also making the greatest impact on those kids. I was one of those kids at one point in time and, um, you know, had no clue the decisions that were being made from an athletic standpoint. But, um, and I'm sure most of the kids now don't have any clue of what decisions I'm making, but I have that lens of being able to, uh, make a decision based off of all of those different demographics that I just mentioned, urban, rural, large, small, private, public. And when I make a decision, I'm making that decision based off of uh, experiences that I've had in all those different settings. And so, uh, you know, uh, my background has really provide, or provided me with or prepared me for uh, being in this moment to be able to make decisions that, that that, that makes sense for the greater good. And, and like I said, the, 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 the best part about this job is, is making impact. 
Oh, absolutely. I love, you know, your use of the word lens, uh, you know, perspective, you know, you have that experience and the perspective to, to make the decisions that you do that, you know, someone, even an adult, that's not in our position. They don't have that same perspective. And yes. uh, again, you alluded to it. It's, it's not a job, you know, it's just like, you know, gosh, we get paid to do this. Uh, you know, it's a, you love what you do. It's, it's never going to be a job. So so, and if, if I may, I'll, I'll just, I'll break it down. This is my simplest form of describing what I do and describing what I've done, right? So when I was a coach, I coached kids. That's pretty simple, right? Someone thought enough of me to say, hey, you're an example for other coaches. I'm going to make you an athletic director. And so now being an athletic director, I coach coaches. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the district level, again, someone said, hey, I really like the job that you do. I want you to serve as an example for other athletic directors. And now as a district athletic director, I'm essentially coaching athletic directors. I'm essentially providing them with best practices or things that I have tried and potentially failed and or potentially succeeded and telling them, hey, these are things that work. These are things that may not work. You try it, you see how it works out for you. So that's that's my simplest breakdown of this profession, and, I, and you know that's not to um, by any means uh, diminish what we do. It's more so just to put it in its simplest form when I'm able to to speak to people that truly don't understand what athletic directors do. Oh, and and absolutely, and you know through your work with Nomad, uh, through your work with NIAAA, you know you and I got to present together uh, on mm-hmm. a national platform, and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit you know through our podcast today, you know you're having an impact on a number of additional athletic directors. So we really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Jake. I appreciate it. Oh no, uh, right back at you. <laughs> well, Tony, it's been great catching up with you, but. We're not done yet. Okay, no problem. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you've certainly uh, been around and, and had tremendous success in a variety of settings. But right now, I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director in their very first job. But I'm only going to let you put three items in their toolbox. What three things are going to go in Anthony Fisher's athletic director toolbox? So <clears throat> I'm going to give you one that has three elements. How about that? Okay. Uh, it's my personal business model related to setting goals as an athletic director. Uh, my dad told me this. My dad was a barber all his life. And uh, so I never had to pay for a haircut until I moved to Florida. Just please note that. Uh, He explained to me, no matter what you do in life, if you're new at it, year one, you should expect a loss because you're you're essentially uh, dumping, for lack of a better term, resources into something that you're learning as you go, right? So expect a loss year one. I think that helps the pain of the loss when you finally figure out, oh my goodness, you know, and I'll give you an example once I give you all of the, the, the three elements. Uh, in year two, the expectation should be a progression towards breaking even. 
So I'm not saying that you have to break even. I'm not saying that you have to have a small profit. I'm just saying if you're pretty close to breaking even, you're on the right track, right? And then year three, your goal should be to experience a profit. And so let's take a real life example as an athletic director. If I was a first year athletic director, the first thing that I may want to do, I'm looking at my softball program and I'm saying, okay, we haven't won a game in three years, right? How can I improve the softball experience? Because we always take it back to creating the best experience for kids. So how can I create the greatest experience for my softball kids? In year one, if I'm going to expect a loss, the first thing that I would look to do, and let's just take it to scheduling because I'm, I'm talking wins and losses. So year one, I may try to schedule or create a schedule that essentially uh, I know that we could potentially win half the games. And I know that a fourth of those games we're definitely going to lose. And then I know that a fourth of those games is a toss up. If we're playing well, or we have the, our, our best pitcher, we could win that game, right? So putting our kids in a position to be successful in year one, but I'm expecting a loss, okay? So if I'm going to create that schedule, I may do something where it's 50-50, right? I do 50 where I know we're gonna win and 50 could be a toss up. Year two, I see growth in my softball program. And so now I'm looking to progress towards breaking even. So what does breaking even mean? That could mean, you know, having a 500 record. And so now I wanna build my schedule based off of trying to break even, so to speak, or come pretty close to it. And then year three, as, as a part of the scheduling, the profit could be, you know, even if you're one game above 500, so be it, you have a profit of, of, of one game. I think you can do that with participation. You know, year one, hey, I'm gonna expect a loss and only have a varsity team. We're gonna cut a couple of girls to be as best as we can, whatever the case may be. We don't have enough for a JV. Year two, you open it up to a JV team and you start to have, uh, promote the sport as much as you possibly can on campus. And you have direct conversations, intentional conversations with, with student athletes to come out and be a part of the team. And then year three, now you have that varsity JV and you're starting to potentially build a freshman team as well. So, you know, I would, I would just say my personal business model and everything that I've ever done, year one, I expect a loss. Year two, the expectation is progression towards breaking even. And then year three, I am expecting to experience a profit and I set the terms in terms of what that profit is. And I have those conversations with my, my, my administrators so that they're on the same page with me as well. And then you revisit your goals at the end of year three and you start over again. So to put things simply, um, I break everything in three year increments. And so this is my third year in Minneapolis Public Schools. I will be revisiting and adding new goals to year one as if I'm starting all over again. I think it's a very, very uh, clear model and whether you apply it to, you know, scheduling or as you said, participation or, or facilities. Funding, um, you know, yeah. You know, what, what, what a great uh, uh, progression uh, mm -hmm. program, you know, for any AD, a new one or a veteran one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tony Fisher, thank you so much uh, for being on the program today. Uh, for our listeners, uh, remember uh, the website, thenomadassociation.org. 
And Anthony, one more time, uh, go ahead and give your email address. It's Anthony, A-N-T-O-N-Y dot Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R at M-P-L-S dot K-12 dot M-N dot U-S. And Jake, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to speak on the podcast. Uh, my competitive nature is saying to myself, I wish I would have thought of this. So, uh, you know, you're doing a phenomenal job and uh, we appreciate you putting this platform together for us athletic directors to have a resource. So, Jake, kudos to you and, and keep doing the wonderful things that you're doing, not only for the state of Florida, but for ADs across the country. Oh, well, very, very kind words. And again, full disclosure, uh, this is certainly not an original idea. You know, I was uh, fortunate to be on uh, one of the other uh, AD-related podcasts, Hanging with the AD, um, back in June, which really was kind of the, the tipping point for me uh, to start this particular venture. And uh, uh, I know for a fact that I've, uh, I, I hate to use the word inspired, but uh, uh, there's been two other podcasts that have developed from guests that have been on our show. So, you know, Anthony, there's no original ideas. It's just good ones that get stolen and reused. <laughs> hey, well, just in, in true athletic director form, you made it happen. So that's the bottom line is that you made it happen. And it's, it's, it's providing resources for a lot of folks out there. So uh, I just appreciate the fact that I can always tune in and, and be able to catch a nugget, so to speak, and, and bring it back to my school community and improve things here in Minneapolis. So thank you for putting this together. All right. Again, thank you so much. Uh, Tony Fisher, Minneapolis Public Schools. Uh, you got his email, you got his website. Please reach out. Uh, to our listeners, remember the uh, Zoom videos of these interviews are being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. So take a look. And uh, until next time, uh, we hope you come back for another episode of the Educational AD.